morning. Welcome to Life Unedited. I'm your host, John Aberly. Today I've got a special in-house guest host with me, my friend Dan Vaughn, hockey fanatic. Hockey extraordinaire knows all, loves the original six. So we're going to have him talking with our special guest star today, Brian Propp, former Philadelphia Flyer, all-star left winger, five times to the Stanley Cup Finals, over 1,000 games played, 1,004 points tallied up. Brian, thank you for coming on. I really appreciate it, and welcome to my show, Life Unedited. Yes, well, good morning. I hope you're doing well today. I am doing quite well. How are you doing? Very well also. It's always nice uh, when you get a chance to sleep in a little bit on a Saturday and spend a little time with your family. Ah, that's my next thing. I, this morning I had to get up early, had work, had to grab my friend Dan here and get here because we're quite excited about having you on. Last year we, we had the privilege of sitting down with uh, Kerry Frazier, interviewing him, uh, Bill Clement, and we're just hockey geeks, the two of us. We've got to be honest about it. It's a sport that we live for. And, Brian, that's why I reached out to you. And, you know, one of the things I want to bring up right off the bat, uh, you know, 15 years in the NHL is a long time. I mean, no, most people do not never have a career that lasts that long and spans the way it did for you from the, you know, early 80s through the early 90s. Uh, five-time Stanley Cup champion. Now, let me ask you, do you have any residual effects from playing all those years? Any, any problems getting out of bed in the morning? Uh, pretty good. I think that I was uh, always uh, very flexible when I played hockey, and I always, always was one of the uh, top in shape for the hockey club. And I was also a little, little smarter and faster to get out of the way of the big guys chasing me. So fortunately, uh, I, uh, I, I got out of my hockey career fairly uh, unscathed. And as a result, I get to have a couple of aches and pains now and again. But uh, for the most part, I'm, I'm fairly lucky. That's excellent. Glad to hear that. We're going to jump right into your rookie year. You come into the Flyers 79-80, the year of the streak. Now, you're playing with some of the guys that are left over from that Stanley Cup run. You've got Clark still with you. Uh, you've got, uh, I think Perron had just retired from the eye injury the year before. Per- yeah. Yeah, Perron Ber- had just retired. Bernie, Bernie was gone. But uh, I believe the first year you were on a line with uh, Clarky and Reggie Leach. Yes, for the first part of that year, I was playing with uh, Bob Buck and Reg Leach, and, and then about halfway through the season, they switched Bill Barber back to that line since that LCB line was pretty successful, and I was uh, then playing <laughs> the Kenny Linsman and Paul Holmgren. That's but, right. Uh, you know, we, we also had really a, a, a very balanced hockey club. Mel Bridgman was there, John Paddock and Hill and TJ Gorance and uh, Rick McLeish, and you, you, if you look at uh, all of the players that were were Stanley Cup champions from 74-75, where a lot of those players still left on the team that really had such great leadership, even Alan Kelly was on the team and Moose DuPont. So That's right. <laughs> strange some, year, uh, though. Some names. That, that was a strange year, though, for you, Brian. I mean, the Flyers started off, I think they won one game, then they lost a couple, then they went on this incredible 35-game unbeaten streak. What's one of your greatest memories about that time period, of that, that streak? Uh, just uh, when I first came into the league, it was it's always exciting to play with a, a great player like a Bob Clark, uh, who was a, a great leader. But you know, he he played in junior hockey in the Western Hockey League where I did, and and he and I kind of molded our careers the same way, playing a tough game. We weren't the biggest guys, uh, you know, very good passers, good two way players, and worked just as hard on the ice uh, and as we do in practice. So. Having that leadership was great, playing with the team. I think uh, when I played junior hockey my last year in junior, we had such a powerful team out of 72 games, we only lost five. Wow. So when we lost the second game 9-2 to two in Atlanta, I was thinking, oh my goodness, is this what the NHL is going to be like? And then we <laughs> got started on the, the streak. But I remember from about uh, 20 games on, it was a lot like what Chicago was going through last year when yeah. they were on that streak from the beginning of the year. They counted the year before, and they were getting you know up to around 30 games and you know doing the whole thing. Media and the press was there, and it was uh, you were playing every game like it was a Stanley Cup final, which I believe was was very good for me early on because it got me into the mode of hey, every team really wants to beat us really bad, and and we have to be better. And uh, I think from 20 games on, it was. You know, all the teams were the ranks were filled. It was yeah. it was wonderful. Now, getting deeper into the season, the thirty-five game on Beans, we get one point. 
I remember looking at the standings all the time, and it had one loss in the column, and that was it. And then you'd see it was 28-1-10 or you know, was 30. Yeah, it was just un- unbelievable how that streak ran. Now, you guys get into the playoffs that year. You, you do a great job getting into the finals with the Islanders, and then the breaks just don't come. The breaks just don't come as far as uh, you know the offsides that was called that wasn't an offsides, a few other things along the way. Did you feel cheated that year at all, Brian, that 1980 Stanley Cup season? Well, not exactly because it did come down to game six where we were in overtime, and, and if we score an overtime goal and, and it goes back to game seven in Philadelphia, it's probably turned around where we probably win in our own building. But, you know, we really hurt ourselves in that finals because the Islanders were such a, a powerful team. But believe that they might have set a record for most power play goals against the team in the finals. And, um, and as a result of us taking too many penalties, they capitalized on that. And, you know, that's, uh, you know, the game of special teams means so much, especially in the playoffs. And you, you a goal here, a goal there could make the difference. And uh, when you're your first year in the league and you're in the sound and have a 35 game undefeated streak and you're playing with a good. You just feel like, wow, you know, it's going to be like this every year. And unfortunately, that doesn't always happen. So, uh, you know, you to have a couple of failures before you realize how good your successes are. It was definitely one heck of a season, one heck of a run. Now, you caught the Islanders just at the beginning of their dynasty. Then for the next four years, the Islanders are winning the Cup. The Edmonton Oilers are starting to come on. The Flyers play well. They kind of, you know, they get into the playoffs every year, but they seem to get bounced out in the first round by the Rangers, I think, three seasons in a row, if I recall. Then the 84-85 season comes along and bring in Iron Mike Keenan. Now, there's a guy that came out of nowhere. He was a college coach. Clark goes out and brings him in. What was the team's first reaction to to Mike Keenan back in the day there, Brian? I believe that uh, we had a, a transition going on at that time because that was right about the time that Bob Clark moved to the manager role and let some of the younger players, uh, which were even myself and Brad McCrimmon and Mark Howe and uh, Dave Poulin, to, to take over to really establish our own leadership in the team. And, you know, we were just uh, looking for a good coach. And, and in those days, in the 80s, we uh, we listened to what coaches said. We weren't paid that much money. So, <laughs> uh, we didn't have much say on things. And But we kind of policed our own room. I mean, through the leadership of Bill Barber, Bob Clark, Bob Kelly, and even a guy like a Frank Bay, the, the, they passed that leadership on to our next group. But, but having a very key group of leaders in our we helped the new guys, which were Rick Tockett and uh, Derek Smith, Peter Zezel, and Scott Mellenby, to transition the way I transitioned into the league in 79-80, where we went right to the finals. And, you know, they were rookies, but they really learned the work ethic. They learned how close our team was and how things made a difference when you play for the guy beside you and you're not worried about your own stats. Well, you go back to the day there. Now, Keenan was kind of cutting edge at the time bring in a lot of videotape, nutrition, exercise. I mean, he was really there in the beginning of making hockey players, taking them from the image of Rick McLeish smoking a cigarette after scoring a hat trick to actually becoming what you would say completely elite athletes. Now, was this something that that you gravitated towards uh, as a player, Brian, meaning this is something that you wanted, you could see the future right there? I, mean, I think it happened a couple of years earlier, and I think Mike Keenan at that time, the league started to change where players did not come in to camp to try to get in. It was you understood that you've got to work out a little bit more. And, and fortunately for us uh, in the Philadelphia Flyers room, uh, Pat Croce right. was hired as our, as our physical uh, trainer, and uh, that was in 1981, I believe. And right from that on junior hockey, I had a lot of talent. I never really did a lot of workouts. I just uh, you know, did a lot of needed to upkeep my aerobic ability and then really worked hard during the season to be in top shape. But Pat Croce came in a couple of years earlier on and started a, a system for all of us athletes to really start working out. And for the younger guys, it was great. I believe he... 
helped me get at least five years extra in the NHL just because I started that regimen with him in the early 80s. And if I didn't, I might have been burned out or not in good enough shape, and then you get hurt, and then you... You're not up to par. But, uh, you know, Mike Keenan also brought that in. And another thing that the top players and the leadership players on our team really um, looked forward to, uh, Dr. Steven Rosenberg is a sports psychologist that has worked with a lot of people. And the players, we were, we were put in front of him, and the top players really started to use his methods of, um, you know, the mental aspect of things of relaxation and visualizing. Yeah, didn't you guys have a room? better. Didn't you guys have the relaxation room or something? Yeah, that was, uh, we had a <laughs> fridge full of beer, and, uh, you know, we got to sit around after the game and have a few beer and uh, relax a little. I mean, in those days, uh, they did have in the changing rooms, uh, you know, beer for the players yeah. after the games. And, you know, the, the smoking was sort of dwindling by that time. Uh, it, it did start to change a little bit, but uh, you, know, you, you don't stop. Yeah. The, the players from going out and having a couple of beer, that's not going to hurt oh, them. Oh, you're all that young guys. You got to yeah, that, was, that was the main thing from, that what? I remember from like uh, uh, the early years. Uh, oh, I can't remember the place. There was a place over in Cherry Hill. Rexy's. Rexy's, yes. yes. <laughs> After the game, everybody crossed the bridge and got over there and got all snookered up and everything well, was Well, that's fine. the best thing, Brian, I got to say about uh, hockey players in general. I think hockey players are the most, most grateful of the players, the most humble of all the four professional teams. Very accessible. You haven't seen that prima donna type way, for the most part, with the NHL, as you've come to see with the NBA in particular, the NFL and Major League Baseball. What do you think sets hockey apart? Do you think it's because of, you know, a lot of Canadians and now you have a lot of Europeans coming in, just a different mindset? Well, if you look at it, I take a look where most of the hockey players came from early on and as even now. And if you look at all of the players that end up making it in hockey, uh, look at their family situations and where they grew up in rural areas and, and playing hockey and having that opportunity. But I think it, it's the family values of growing up where everybody realizes that, listen, you, you're there to be a role model, model if you get to be a professional player and you have to treat people very well and you have to not that you're better than anybody else. And, and I think that if you look at uh, the way people grow up and, and their family upbringings, that brings a lot to hockey. If you look at Stanley Cup finals and, you know, the parents that are coming out, and even when they're interviewed, you just see they're all down to their, you know, they're happy for their, their children. They also instilled in their families that, Never forget that we all put our pants on the same way. We're no better than anybody else, no matter how much money you make. And if you are in, in a position where you can become a role model, your actions speak uh, loudly, helping a lot of charities, being kind to everybody, and talking to everybody. And I think that that's why in the early 80s and even 90s, when the players of our teams used to go to Kaminsky's or Rexy's, but season ticket holders could talk to you, could have a beer with you. We, we participated in a lot of charity golf outings during the summer. We played some softball games for charities. And, and the people got to know the, the players as individuals rather than uh, just, just somebody that played hockey. And I think, unfortunately, now the money uh, a lot better. And I'm not seeing that today's players out there in the community as much in these scramble tournaments and giving mm. back of themselves. Now that's a shame, because I know your upbringing, I, I read correctly, you came from, uh, your father was a uh, Lutheran minister, correct? Yes. Yes, you got, see, see, you came from good stock, as, as my German grandmother would say to me. You came from good stock. So that means yeah. something. You brought that with you to the NHL. Brian, we're going to roll into a break, then we're going to come back and get into the 86-87 season in particular. You're listening to Life Unedited. I'm your host, John Averly. Today, my guest is Philadelphia Flyers great Brian Prop. Be back in a few moments. Drinking while you're pregnant can give your baby brain damage and birth defects, learning disabilities, too. Look, here's the deal. If you drink alcohol while you're pregnant, you may be ruining your baby's chances of ever having a normal life. All forms of alcohol are dangerous, even beer and wine. Play it smart. Alcohol and pregnancy don't mix. 
This message is brought to you by the Chester County Department of Drug and Alcohol Services. For more information, please call toll-free 1-866-286-3767 or visit nofas.org. 11,000 off dealer posted price tax and tax extra one or more at this price. It's the best choice sales event at Jim Sapala's Nissan of Devon, your sign and drive headquarters. At Jim Sapala's Nissan of Devon, we're not number one yet, but we're getting closer. We have the best owner retention and best customer satisfaction rating in the entire Philadelphia market. It's the best choice sales event. Take up to $11,000 off your new Nissan or get 0% APR. It's the best deal. Sign and drive a Versa note for just $139 a month. Go further for less with a 2013 Altima for just $179 a month. Or own a 2013 Rogue for just $18,888. Now get excited at Jim Sapala's Nissan of Devon. Because the best choice sales event ends soon. Minutes away and a lot less to pay. With every test drive at Jim Sapala's Nissan of Devon, we will donate $25 to bring hope home. Providing unexpected amazingness to local families with cancer. In Philadelphia, pretzels are a tradition, and nobody makes them better than my friend Jimmy over at the Philadelphia Pretzel Factory in Westchester. Since 2003, Jimmy and his staff have been committed to making the best pretzels in the Philly area. Every pretzel is hand-twisted to ensure freshness and quality, and you can't beat the price. Bring in your Westchester University football ticket stub the day after a home game and receive a free pretzel. That's the Philly Pretzel Factory, located at 125 North Church Street in downtown Westchester. Open seven days a week. Stop in or call Jimmy. Jimmy at 610-430-7100. That's 610-430-7100. Westchester's Philly Pretzel Factory. Hi, I'm Amy Grant, and you're listening to WCHE Welcome back to Life on Edit. I'm your host, John Aberly. Today's special guest sitting with me, special guest star, Dan Vaughn, my friend and hockey geek fanatic. And our special guest is Brian Propp, Philadelphia Flyers' great left winger. Brian, you know, Keenan's first year, you guys go all the way to the finals. It's No one expects it. It's just a tremendous year. Kerr has his coming out year. Pelly Lindbergh just does everything correctly. You guys roll through the playoffs. You actually win the first game of the finals against Edmonton. And then Edmonton, who is at the peak of their dynasty, just comes back and takes the next four. But still, a great year. Everyone goes into 85, 86 thinking, okay, we can make another run. And then that tragedy with Pelly Lindbergh. Do you really, how long do you think that set the organization back if you had to really look at it? I mean, I know Heck still steps in and does a great job the next year. But do you think it sets the organization back a few years because of the tragedy? I think uh, uh, halfway through the season, the the players were still thinking of it. We had a lot of young players on the team. It really, had, again, I, I'm going to bring up leadership because mm-hmm. we had very, very strong leadership in our room. We were a very, very close hockey club. And we all bonded together and knew that we had a job to do on the ice. But we became closer after uh, Pelly's death, which I think uh, helped us in all of our careers down the road. But it was difficult for a lot of the younger players. I think a lot of the older players, you realize that hey, this is difficult, but we're going to have to play through it. But looking at it at that time, Pelly Lindbergh, the year before, won the Vezina, had not had a loss up until his death. He was coming into his a lot like Bernie Perrant, where I think that if uh, nothing happened, he could have been one of the elite goaltenders in the NHL for a number of years to come. And, and we all know how important goaltending is in, in the playoffs and how that can win you uh, a Stanley Cup. So I think that... It really you could have made a difference for the Philadelphia Flyers, but fortunately, by drafting good players, they had Ron Hextel fill in the next year, who was unbelievable as a rookie and continued to play very, very well for the hockey club. And you know, it really was 
difficult playing against Edmonton in those days, especially without a Tim Kerr who was yes. hurt. So, you know, the first year, 85, yep. got hurt in the first round against uh, Quebec. And you lose a couple of key players. And it's very, very difficult because we really played as a team. And any time that you lose one key player, it really puts you at a disadvantage. But I think the people in Philadelphia have always respected our teams in the 80s because of the effort that we put forth yes. every single game and getting ourselves there. I mean, it, it was a grind, believe me, in 86, 87 to get to the finals. That year, I think we played 26 games uh, overall and ended up losing in the seventh game against Edmonton. But they saw the drive and effort and, and the teamwork that we had to be able to beat all those other good teams out there to, to give ourselves and Philadelphia the chance to win a Stanley Cup. Uh, uh, this is Dan, uh, Brian. I, uh, a couple things stand out in my mind. The one was the uh, the cheap shot from Chris Chelios, and I can still picture Ronnie Hextall coming out of the net and basically beating the snot out of him. <laughs> right. <laughs> I think that's making Brian happy, trust yeah. me. <laughs> now, now, what type of an effect does that have, especially, like, this wasn't a Dave Schultz or a Paul Holmgren or a Mel, this was your goaltender. What type of a unifying effect did that have on the team? Well, you look at that, and that was in 88-89, and, yep. and, and it was game six, and we ended up, we, we lost that game, and you know, I got knocked out the first game of the conference finals in, in Montreal, but I did come back and play in game six. I was playing in that game because I, I remember I think I had a goal and an assist, but yep. Yep. we were losing 4-2 to two at that time, and Ron Hexel just, he was bubbling inside because up until that point, nothing had been done to playoffs from the rest of our team. It was like, hey, let's try to win a series, you know, let's think about that, and we'll have time to do it later, but I think that that was playing on his mind, and for him to go out there and show that he cared that much about what happened to me just always has given me uh, respect for him a little deeper than than we had even on the ice. I mean, in practice, I was probably the worst player to play against because I would go down to score on a goalie every single time and in warm-ups, and, and I drive them nuts because I'd shoot rebounds when other people were shooting, and and you just develop a bond. But, uh, you know, when you see somebody doing that for your own teammate, that shows not only me, but the rest of our team and our city that somebody really cares about what's going on. And when you when you get that type of care, you've already got a winner, in that person, but it can only show everybody else on the team that that's what it's going to take to win a, a, a Stanley Cup. Just like in football, even Dick Vermeil had said over the years, and I've heard him talk, when he goes in to build a team, he knows it might take three or four years just to build the right team and the right characters to get to the point where they're playing for the guy beside them to be able to win a championship. And, and it, it's, a, it's a process, but uh, I mean, with what Ron Hexall did there, he really cared about his teammates, and and again, being from Western Canada and playing for the Brandon Wheat Kings, you know, you know, anybody that played for the Brandon Wheat Kings, uh, you, you, they're they're a little cut above, you know. And, uh, well, they, they wear their helmets a little too tight, and I remember his uh, father and his uncle because I I get back a long way. Oh yes, well, it runs deep, doesn't it? The, you know, oh. that, uh, that passion for hockey—it's in the genes. It's definitely in the genes. I got another question for you, just on a little bit of a lighter side, going back to your years there. Um, who's going to win a fight, Bridgman and Holmgren? Wow, that's a question. Who's going to well, who, who's going to win that question. fight? Well, I think that uh, you know, between uh, Bridgman and Holmgren, it would be like uh, an all-out. Uh, you know, fourth for a long period of time, but I think that uh, Mel probably had a little bit more technique and was, uh, you know, that's the kind of way he kind of came to the league. But uh, you know, that would have been an all-out drag him out, uh, you know, five minute bang bang, you know, knock each other out. But I, I'll I'll say one thing: it, um, I'll put Ben Wilson up against anybody in the history of the game. As that's far right. As winning Ab- any fight. Absolutely forgot about Ben Wilson for a second. I, that's I, right. I, I still can picture. I remember a game. I don't know if you'll remember it or not. It was against the Bruins. I know uh, it was Terry O'Reilly, and I can't think who the other one was, but 
Uh, uh, it might have been either. Uh, it might have been Stan Jonathan, or it might have even been Wayne Cashman. Or, you know, or, but it was a yeah, Riley a couple times, and then uh, no. somebody. Maybe it was maybe it was John like too. I mean, it, no. yeah, I think it was yeah, Milbury. Bridgman and Milbury and Holmgren and O'Reilly. And I can still picture Mel Bridgman having him locked in a scissor lock and leaning back to where Milbury couldn't reach him. And he would continuously just reach over and just slap him, slap him in the face. Well, yeah. Well, we had uh, over the years. <laughs> Laughing some, the whole time. Uh, great. Some great fighters on the Flyers, and, and that tradition still is here today. And yes. I think that that's important. To, once you once you establish a tradition of Broad Street Bullies, you never want to give it up. A lot of new teams are looking for that identity, and, and they can't find it. So what we have here in Philadelphia is we have a tradition that they're going to play the same way. And, you know, hopefully this year, you know, the Flyers – after that last win, we'll get turned around a little bit more, start playing better hockey and scoring a little bit more, getting a little more confidence. But with Craig Bruby behind the bench, you know, he understands the value of a strong physical game and being able to intimidate some of the other teams, but at the same point, uh, you know, learn how to play for each other. Brian, getting back to the 86-87 season, you were saying what, a, what it took to get there. I remember that season very well. It was my senior year of high school and I just remember coming into the season, all of a sudden, Hextall's named the starter over Bob Froze, who everyone thought was going to be the starter. And it's like, wait a second, they're going to try to ride a rookie here. Turned out to be one of the best moves that Keenan and Clark ever made doing that. Now, you yourself, you got hurt I, somewhere in the middle of the season, correct? I did. I, uh, that year, I had... Um, I had uh, what did I have? I had a knee surgery, yeah, like probably about 20... 20 games into the season, I had a knee surgery where I missed uh, 20 games and then was able to come back for a month before the playoffs and then be a pretty strong player. But, you know, during that time off, um, I worked very hard with Pat Croce. So when I came back, I was, in, I was probably a lot healthier. And, uh, you know, then players that went through the whole season of the grind of getting there. And, and uh, I think that it, it probably helped me because I was in a lot stronger shape and not as worn down and uh, and as a result i had you know my best year in the playoffs that year with uh, 28 points so you know that was that, uh, that was a credit to pat croce for making sure that when i was rehabbing with my knee injury that i was able to come back in tip-top shape well i want to finish that up when we get back from the commercial break i want to get into that finals with edmonton because that was probably one of the greatest playoff series ever played you're listening to life on ed i'm your host john Averly, brian prop flyers great as my guest dan vaughn my friend is sitting in with me we'll be back in a few minutes if you care about this election if you have an opinion if you want a voice, if you want to make a difference, show it. Show it. When voting this election day, November 5th, you will be asked but not required to show a photo ID. To learn more about the voter ID law or how to get a free photo ID from PennDOT driver license centers, even if you were unable to get one in the past, call 1-877-VOTES-PA or visit votespa.com. Sponsored by the PA Department of State. Do you want to know what's going on with your favorite celebrities when it comes to entertainment, fashion, beauty, fitness, and lifestyle? Well, tune in for The Bryn Project every Wednesday at 12.15 and every Saturday at 12. I'll even catch you up on childhood stars like Boy Meets World actor Will Friedle. By the time I hit 30, I stopped doing on-camera work entirely. I'm having too much fun doing the voiceover stuff. Find out the latest tour and album information from your favorite artists like pop sensation Carmen. When we were working on the album, we had so many songs songs recorded. Some of them sounded really fun and really Carmen, and I think a lot of the stuff that inspires us is really fun. Check out tips for balancing life as a working parent from people like actress Melissa Joan Hart. It was difficult because I was missing them a lot, but now we have decided to all get together more, and so we've been traveling back and forth across the country as a unit. Also, get motivated to get healthy with experts like Good Morning America contributor Tori Johnson. So I realized that rewarding myself with food is akin to an alcoholic celebrating a month of sobriety 
with a beer. And you never know what some of your favorite stars might say. The last time I was in Philly, they surrounded me and they were like, we love you on MTV, you're our favorite comedian. Aww. I was like, Aww. So you don't want to miss all the action. Check out The Bryn Project every Wednesday at 12.15 and every Saturday at 12, right here on WCG 1520 AM. Hi, everybody. I am Martin Yen of Yang Ken Cook. You are now listening to WCHE 1520 AM, my favorite program. Welcome back to Life Unedited. I'm your host, John Averly. Today, my special guest is Brian Prop, Philadelphia Flyers great. My special host, Dan Vaughn, my good friend and fellow hockey geek, and that's what I'm going to put it. Brian, uh, again, getting that 86-87 season, you guys went to the finals against Edmonton. You forced game seven. I believe, and I, probably you believe, and most of the other team believes, if not the entire team, that if you had had Tim Kerr for that playoff series, you guys come away with a ring. That could have been possible uh, because he was an integral part of our team. If you look at it, in those years, he had over 50 goals for four seasons straight. 34 power play goals is an NHL record today still. And having an opportunity to have somebody of that caliber in your lineup, you need those types of goals. Although we played very, very well defensively, and Ron Hexall played superb hockey, it was uh, it was another aspect of why I think a lot of people appreciated our effort without oh. a player like a Tim Kerr. You know, Mark Howe was worn down. Well, Dave Pullen was, was wearing a flak jacket, wasn't he? Ribs. Yeah, he had a, he yeah, was he playing was, broken ribs. Yeah, you know, Elkis had a knee injury. I mean, our key players were really really banged up, and and we still battled through all of that. So I think a lot of people really remember that '87 uh, series because we did force Game Seven. I just remember. Probably my best game in the playoffs ever might have been Game Five in Edmonton, where we them four to three. I had four yeah. assists, and there was at the end of the game, there was we kind of shot the puck down. I, I remember racing down, and, and I lifted Yari's stick and then put the puck in the empty net, which should have counted it and sealed the game for us. And they blew it as an icing with 30 seconds left, and they did not take it back, and it should have been. You know, an easy victory for us with the empty net goal, and and then you know made the last thirty seconds pretty hairy. But uh, you know, getting out of uh, Edmonton in Game Five, and then that uh, memorable Game Six where we oh. came back with two one defeat to JJ Daniel. JJ, does anyone know where JJ Daniel is today? I think he's in <laughs> Quebec somewhere. I'm not exactly sure what he's doing. I, mean, I know what most of the Flyers and yeah. I do because I'm uh, I'm always a kind of a key connector for our group. I have everybody's uh, information, emails, and phone numbers. Pretty much cool. know what almost every alumni guy does. Uh, but I think he's uh, back in Quebec somewhere. I'm sure he's either coaching or doing something along that line. You know, that game six, Brian, you guys made a tremendous comeback. Daniel's biggest moment ever as a Flyer. I, the place was just rocking. I believe also you guys got kind of burned on this one, too. The game was a Thursday night. Friday, the next day, would have been a travel day to Edmonton. The game should have been played on Saturday night, not that Sunday night. And I think that might have had a little bit to do to help Edmonton calm their nerves. They had that extra 24 hours to get themselves together. I wonder if they wouldn't have been a different team without that extra 24 hours. Any thoughts on that? Well, I think we had played so many games that that extra 24 hours actually helped, should have helped us. You know, with Mark Howell probably playing 40, 45 minutes a game, you know, that, that extra 24 hours and the travel to Edmonton probably could have helped. So, I mean, if you look at Edmonton's team in 1987, they probably had six Hall of Famers oh. in their in the lineup. We were talking and about going that. In, going into Edmonton with you know, Gretzky, um, Sieg, uh, Anderson, Curry, uh, Kevin Lowe, Grant Fjord, uh, the list goes on. Oh. It was like playing yeah, an All-Star they, team. They, yeah. When you think about us even having the opportunity to even win there and make that game close, I think that you know, people, you know, that uh, it was going to be a blowout, and and I know I remember we scored the first goal, and we had yeah. a couple of opportunities where Doug Cross, and I remember watching where he, he had 
he missed the net a couple of times and two nothing for us. But uh, you know, those are just those little missed chances. It's one bounce here and there that that could have won a Stanley Cup, and it happens to a lot of players. And uh, it's just uh, but giving ourselves that opportunity, and, and really as a team, I think that you know people just respected the that we had that chance, and uh, you know, it just. No, it, Brian, I can't. I can't tell you enough as a fan what that '86, '87 team meant to me. Just how you guys stuck it out. And you're right. It, that's like the Flyers' history. That's who they are as a team, as an organization. They just always will come and try to outwork you. Might not have the greatest of talent all the times, but you know they come to play. And I think that's what this fan base has always loved and gravitated towards. <laughs> Not the way the Flyers uh, scout for the players. They look for the character players, and it, it goes so deep, uh, the scouting and, and everything that's involved in hockey and picking players and checking out who they are, and, and, and not just drafting players for the sake of drafting players. Like I think if you look at an Allen Iverson in, in basketball, I mean, he was such an extraordinary talent that he could win games by himself, but uh, as far as with the rest of the team and, and how he associated with them and, and things that happened off off the court and everything, you know, even if you have a player like that, I mean, it might be nice, but I think the Flyers always are looking for those character players that are going to work harder and maybe give up a little bit of talent to, to have somebody that's going to know and understand that you play for the team and you play for the city and you play for each other. So, uh, you know, there is there, it's a it's a very, very structured scouting system that the Flyers have set up and with Ron Hextall and Paul Holmgren you know, I think that the young group of players that are coming up uh, hopefully can fit that well. Hey, Dan. All right, I got a question for you, Brian. It's something that I think about a lot being an old head. Uh, what would your thoughts be about going back to the old format for the All-Star game? Uh, if you remember back in the uh, late 60s even in through the early 70s, where you had uh, the All-Stars playing against the Stanley Cup champions. I don't think you can do that anymore because look at what happened to Chicago in 2010. They, they, uh, they won the Stanley Cup, and then, they, then seven players were gone from the team the next year. That's a good there's, point. There's, good there's, point. There's too much movement in the yeah. NHL now. I mean, if, you, if a team wins, the, the, the players change teams so often now that I don't think that would be possible. Plus, in those days, I remember playing in five All-Star games, and, it, and we played against the other conference. It was we hated them, and we wanted to win the game. <laughs> and and now it's now they want to make it a show. Like I hate watching that game because I see great players not even trying. They just let players go in and shoot on a play, and, and and to me, it's kind of a farce because it's not the way the NHL is and uh, and I just see you know top players you know collapsing and, and not even taking it seriously so oh, Brian. I, I I just can't I was yeah. I was never I was never a good good player like that I That's okay. I, I, to lose. Brian, I, mean, I, I I wholeheartedly agree with you I, I, like uh, uh, to be honest with you the only all-star game in, in professional sports that I think is worth Worthwhile watching is baseball because the game doesn't change for that. That's no, why it, and stays it's an individual. The same. If you can yeah. play second base for the Phillies, you can play second exactly. base for anybody else. Uh, one other quick question for you: What was it like in the Canada Cup series when you played on the line with uh, Gretzky and Lemieux? Well, if you look at that whole lineup, uh, you know, I think in Canada they just uh, they just uh, named that 1987 team as the best team ever in hockey. Yes, they did. And and uh, to be a part of that, I was playing on the line with the Gretzky and Lemieux most of that tournament, but we had such great talent. And the way it ended up playing the finals, it was against Russia, a three-game series, which now I think that they just play the one game and whoever wins, wins. But uh, you know that created such excitement being in Canada and the final two games in Hamilton and 6-5 every game. I mean, the hockey at that point was the best I'd ever played. I mean, the Russian team was absolutely fabulous. Our team was amazing, too. And, uh, you know, just to be a part of that was, uh, it was, to me, special. Playing for your country, winning for your country. And that's why, in 87, that was, 
that was uh, before the season started. So it happened right after the seven-game series in 87 that we lost to Edmonton, and then me playing before training camp with Rick Tockett and a number of other flyers and winning the Canada Cup. So for me, it was one of my highlights because I was able to be on the winning team when they bring the championship into the room and uh, and being a part of that. I mean, it's a feeling that, that I'll, I'll never forget the rest of my life. Well, Brian, that leads me to a question then. Now, unfortunately, we're talking about the All-Star game. In 86-87, the All-Star game was Rendezvous 87, uh, All-Stars versus uh, the Russian team, which was obviously a prelude to what the Canada Cup was going to be only five months later. Unfortunately, you missed out on that because of the injury. Let me ask you, and honestly, it's, it's, it's probably a loaded question, but I have to ask you, what means more, winning that Canada Cup for your country or winning that Stanley Cup, or it's just you can't compare the two? I think that uh, it's just like the players that play for the Olympics. Now, I mean, you're playing for your country, and if you win for your country, it's just it's a, the whole pride. When you're playing for a team, and, and for me, for playing for the Flyers for 11 years and being in three Stanley Cup finals for them, I was just short three times, and then I was in the finals with Boston yeah. and, and Minnesota. It, it, it's our ultimate goal to win the Stanley Cup, and when you don't win, you're, you're always disappointed. I'll always be disappointed uh, that I didn't win, but I'm also looking at you know, what I've done and accomplished uh, in the playoffs. I mean, my, my point totals in the playoffs are almost in the top 30 in the history of the game. Yes, they but are. I, 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 I tried my best to get there, I mean, maybe I needed to score, step up a little bit here and there, and, and it might have made a difference. No, Brian, 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 I don't so. think so. Wait a second. 160 games in the playoffs, 64 goals, 84 assists, total points 148. You're good for a point a game. I mean, that's a rarity for any hockey player. That puts you in the elite status. I don't think you could have done any more. I think you were a tremendous leader for the Flyers. I think just to get picked to represent your country, Canada, at the Canada Cup, which, I mean, how many great talents are there coming out of Canada? You really got to be a part of hockey, I think, making that transition into a world game starting in the mid to late 80s. Your thoughts on that? Uh, yeah, and that was when, uh, you know, and of course I'm, I'm proud of the accomplishments of being on all of those teams, but again, the friendships that I developed with the, the teammates that I've had, I've kept uh, up to this day. That's more important to me than winning and losing. And it's just like you're only as good as, as as good as what you did the day before. And that's always a good lesson for everybody. And well, I thought you had it again. I thought you had it. I thought you and Dave Pullen had it in '90 with Boston going against Edmonton. Edmonton kind of came out of nowhere. No one thought they could put it together after trading Gretzky. Give give Messier credit. The man is one of the best leaders of any sports teams ever. Awesome. Awesome player. Everything about him. But I really thought Boston has got this. This is a this is a series that you guys could win. And, you know, the Flyers at that point had traded both of his midseason. The, the Flyers were on the downswing. And I can tell you all of Philadelphia was rooting hard for Boston, which is rare because of the two of you guys. Well, I think that that first game in triple overtime with yes. Peter Cleveland. I mean, that's when you lose the first game. Uh, you know that really that made it made it difficult for us. And and uh, and Edmonton also, you know, they had the experience. They had been around. And I remember uh, Asa Tikkanen never gets enough credit, but that's he kind right. of. I was playing with uh, Janney and and Cam Neely, and he did a, a fabulous job of basically shutting down. Uh, you know, our line, and uh, that really made a big difference. Uh, so I think uh, we, we, you know, it was there, but uh, you know, experience might have paid off a little bit for Edmonton in that. Oh, it definitely did. I, I'll agree with Then the next year is kind of a weird, fluky year. You end up at Minnesota. Bob Clark's there now as general manager. Minnesota comes in, 27 wins, 39 losses, I believe, 16 ties, slips into the playoffs. You guys go to the finals. You well, beat some that, really good teams to get there. Well, we yeah we well, and I think that that was the leadership that Bob Clark brought to uh, to Minnesota. He he brought me as a free agent. And he brought Bobby Smith, and the two of us had a lot of experience in the playoffs and even getting into the playoffs. If you look that year in the playoffs, Bobby Smith and I. It really helped the team to to beat some of the other teams. Bob Smith had like five game winners. I had like three, and you know, to beating we beat Chicago that year in the first round, who was the best team in the NHL, and then we beat St. Louis in the second round, which was the second best team in the NHL that year. And then we beat Edmonton, that won the Stanley Cup the year before, and we actually won Game One against 
Pittsburgh, but uh, yep. then that's when Mary Lemieux, uh, you know, talent that he was, he kind of took over from game three on and uh, kind of really put on a show. But, uh, you know, I think that it was the leadership, and that's assembling the right players, the mix of veterans and youth. The Minnesota North Stars had tremendous talent for a lot of years, but I think they needed players like myself and Bob Smith to show them how you get over the hump. I believe that. I think chemistry is one of the most important things to a sports franchise if it's going to win any kind of title. Also one of the most underrated. Without a doubt. That. And you need a hot goalie. Yeah, you need a hot goalie. <laughs> you listen to Lifeline Adam, your host John Averly, Brian Prop Flyers. Great. We'll be back in a few moments and wrap it up. My name is Nicole Zell, and I'm the new host of Soundstage. Every Thursday from 4 to 5 p.m., we'll be featuring local musicians and upcoming artists. That's Soundstage every Thursday, 4 to 5 p.m., with me, Nicole Zell, on WCHE 1520 AM, the talk of Chester County. My name is Lucy, and my dad's a pipe fitter. My dad wants to work on the Keystone XL pipeline, but President Obama must approve it first. All the president must do is sign a piece of paper, and thousands of skilled workers like my dad could have jobs. Some people want to make you believe that temporary work doesn't matter. But my dad says all big construction projects are temporary, including the Hoover Dam and the 9-11 Memorial. Five years ago, the application was filed with the government for the construction of the Keystone XL Pipeline. During that time, four environmental studies have been conducted that came to the same conclusion. Keystone XL would have minimal impact on the environment. The government must stop dragging its feet. Call your senators and ask them to urge presidential approval of Keystone XL. This message was paid for by the Oil and Natural Gas Industry Labor Management Committee. Go Hunt PA to enjoy the outdoors, to be with family and friends, or to put food on the table. Whatever the reason, the Pennsylvania Game Commission invites you to Go Hunt PA. Log on to pgc.state.pa.us to find information on wildlife, hunting, licensing, and much more. While you're there, subscribe to their email service to get all the latest news, like reminding hunters that small game, archery, and early muzzleloader deer seasons open in October. So Go Hunt PA and let a ram truck take you there. Engineered to move heaven and earth. Guts, glory, ram. Hi, it's Sandra Lee, and you're listening to WCHE 1520 AM. Welcome back to Life on Ed. I'm your host, John Averly. Today, my guest is Brian Prop, Philadelphia Flyers great, my special friend Dan Vaughn, sitting in asking questions. Brian, last segment here, got a few minutes, and I got a couple quick questions here. Uh, first thing that pops into your mind. After I give you the question, Grant Fuhr. Um, money goalie. That's what I said earlier. Thank you. Absolutely. One of the best goalies ever to play in the playoffs during the 80s. I honestly believe, though, that, that uh, really the Edmonton offense left him hanging out to dry so much. That's what made him so good. Yeah, and he was very quick in his net. He played back in his crease. Yeah, but uh, he he had a happy goalie character. He's he just uh, nothing phased him. I think that that's great for a goaltender because if you get a goal scored on you like a lot like Mart, Martin Brodeur, you know, forget about it and then just concentrate on what's going on next. So oh, Brodeur, I think that that's the go- type of goalie he was. Brodeur has the greatest concentration of any professional athlete I've ever witnessed, and I can say that from a personal level because I witnessed it. Uh, Gene Hart, uh, just. He just too intelligent. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> he, I mean, not only did he do the Flyers broadcast, but he also did operas and he did uh, horse racing. Uh, I, I, I learned from him when I went to radio. I you know, talked to him a lot and learned a lot. And but even when I first came to the Flyers, he treated every player and their families tremendously well, and and just was so intelligent. He could finish the New York times crossword puzzle in 15 minutes where i could get like four answers yeah the guy was a certified the, the, genius the thing i remember is like uh, with the, the the russian series i think he was the only person in north america that could pronounce marv albert was relying on him for every, that yeah. every yeah. russian name exactly the way it was supposed to be he practiced it i read his book i read gene's book years wow. ago and that was one of the things that he did he, he practiced awesome. that uh brian the uh, the spectrum 
Oh, character. Just all of the old arenas that that are there that used to be out there. Uh, I I really enjoyed playing in the eighties because uh, the the different arenas had their own character, and and the Spectrum was one of them. I I loved Chicago Stadium. That so was one of I. my favorites. Yep. The Montreal Forum with all the history and everything there. I loved playing there. I mean, Boston you even look Gardens. at the old Boston Garden. I mean, yep. <laughs> every, every every place had their own character. Definitely, I have to agree with that one. Did you get anything when they tore the uh, spectrum down? Did you get a seat or anything? I did not. I just again, I you know, stuff in the past is <laughs> sits in boxes or you, you haven't know. broken that stuff out yet, have you? After all these years, no. I mean, I've got some some uh, jerseys hanging up at my home, and I've got a you know a couple pictures of doing the good fall. Yeah. But uh, you know, uh, you know, I've, my, my family they've got their own things that they do. That's I like that. There's a, a modest man who yeah. keeps his stuff in the box. Where did you get the guffaw? Got the guffaw from Howie Mandel, who did it in his uh, shows in Atlantic City starting in the middle 80s, and it means a hearty laughter. Mm-hmm. And at one of his shows with Scott McKay, we we were watching it, and he says, hey, you messed up the next comedian rather than clap, cheer, whistle, everybody do this, guffaw, guffaw, wouldn't that be funny? And it was a uh, hand movement going up, and and I decided I needed more personality after I scored, so I, I kind of copied that next year, and I've talked to him a number of times, seen his shows, and uh, it just developed into a, it branded what I was about. And even if you look at the Hall of Fame statue that the Flyers have in the Wells Fargo Center, it's uh, me doing the guffaw. Oh, That's kidding. beautiful. Okay, what, uh, next one here, Eric Lindros. Uh, a superb talent. Uh, relied on his parents to make his own decisions. I think could have been like yep. a, a Lemieux or a Gretzky, but uh, he never got to that level where he was making his own mind up about things. Isn't that a shame? I mean, when everyone around you can see what the problem is, but you're so deep into it that you can't see the problem, and it end up taking away from a career or something special. Uh, yes, but that's in all of us, and and uh, you know some people can see it, but we weren't living in. It's still, he's one of the greatest all, all-time players, such a difficult player to play against, and I, and I was really glad he came back for the Winter Classic for the Philadelphia. That Bayern. was nice. It was almost like a healing moment. I thought it was nice to get the fans and the it management was. back together. Last question: You got a couple minutes, like two minutes, minute forty to answer it, Brian. The NHL playoffs, really a war unto itself, a season unto itself too long no i love it i think uh, the four game series are great i think that any team that gets into the playoffs now has a chance because of the parity in the team yep. in, in the in the league and i also like where the referees as the further along it goes they let the players play and decide the outcome 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 themselves i have to agree with you i think nothing beats the NHL playoffs. You can give me the NFL playoffs. You can give me Major League Baseball, the NBA, whatever you want. The NHL, you're guaranteed one good upset pretty much every round. Something's going to come of it. I want the NHL playoffs to go longer. I want to like throw some more in there. because These season, guys are dying now. I don't care. Hockey ends too soon. Oh, my God. Brian, I want to say thank you for coming on. I really appreciate you taking the time on a Saturday morning to do this. Um, I'm actually going to reach out to you sometime this week on a business uh, prospect um, situation, so expect an email from me concerning and if, that. And if, and if people want to find out more about what I'm doing, yeah. uh, my BrianProp.com website, uh, they can find out about the Judge Group and also my hockey-related uh, things. Brian, I really appreciate it. I hope to have you back on again in the future. You enjoy the holiday season coming up, and thank you so much for bringing hockey to Philadelphia the way you did. We loved you for it. Thanks, John. I appreciate it. Thanks a lot. Brian, it was a pleasure talking to you. Uh, You too. Thanks. Bye. You've been listening to Life on Ed. I'm your host, John Aberly. Today my guest was Brian Propp. Special host with me was my friend Dan Vaughn. We'll be back talking hockey again. Bring Dan back probably another month or so. I'll find someone to bring up. We'll go from there. Thanks again. Talk to you next week.